Well, good morning. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. And uh, we're so glad you're with us. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We hope that you will be, uh, feel like a part of our family. That's the way we, we talk around here. We're a family of families, and we want this place to feel like that. We want it to feel like a family. And so hopefully you've been greeted and cared for in that way. And uh, if not, just wait. Maybe we'll get to you in just a little bit. But we're, we're glad you're with us. If you've been with us very much in the past, well, this summer at all, you know that we've been in a series called Acts, the story of the church. It's a series through the book of Acts. Uh, this has been our third summer, and we're still not finished. We've got at least another summer, um, and pr- maybe another one, I don't know. But uh, it's been really good. I, I've really enjoyed walking through that. Many of you know that, that uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and as he wrote it, he wrote it as sort of a 30,000-foot view, overview, of the expansion and the establishment of the church. And so we, we were watching that as we've gone through all this, and of course this summer we've really focused on Paul, because about chapter 13 on really focuses on the work that the Lord does through Paul. And so we, we got to see in, in chapters 13 and 14, Paul began to visit this area called Galatia. Uh, many of you remember that uh, Paul and Barnabas were at this church in Antioch, and they were commissioned. They were, they were praying, and, and the Lord said to send out Paul and Barnabas, and so they leave uh, Antioch to take a boat over to this little island, Cyprus, and then they go up north. Uh, to the southern part of Galatia, and they begin to work all in these cities all around Galatia. It ends up being a 1,200-mile journey, and, and, and many of you remember even the story about it. It's, it's cities like Antioch, uh, cities like Iconium, uh, Lystra, Derby, and we remember Lystra because that's the place where Paul uh, really got beat up, didn't he? He got stoned, and was actually left for dead. I if we don't remember it, I guarantee you Paul did, you know what I mean? And when he went back the second time, he remembered that place. He was left for dead. He was willing to give his life for these Galatians. And he loved them very much. And so he, he, they make their trip, 1,200-mile journey. They kind of come back almost the way they went, back to Antioch in Syria. And when they get back there, they realize that something's taking place. There are some men who've come into the church and the churches of Galatia, and they're, they're stirring up trouble. And they're, they're causing people uh, to doubt what Paul has, not only doubt Paul, but to doubt the gospel that Paul had given them. And so uh, Paul gets frustrated, to say the least. And he wants to write. He can't visit them at this moment. So he's going to write back to those churches in Galatia to settle this out, to make sure they understand what the true gospel is and encourage them to believe that. And, and you know what I found as I've studied this is we need to believe it too. We need to understand the beautiful grace and freedom that God gives us and have the faith to believe it. And so this morning, I'm excited to get into our new series called Faith and Freedom. Uh, One of our own partners, Eric Pickett, did that graphic. It's pretty great, isn't it? Way to go, Eric. Thank you for doing that. I love that. So they've been all over Galatia. They've traveled 1,200 miles. Um, This time period, just to give you a little background on the letter— This time period is about uh, 49 or 50 A.D., which is about 15 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, and only a couple, two, three years after his visit to Galatia the first time. Uh, A lot of theologians believe this is after his first missionary journey and yet before the Jerusalem Council. And, of course, we we studied the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 this summer, and the very same issue that he's writing to the Galatians is a big question in the Jerusalem Council— and so there's just something going on in churches where people are really still trying to hold on to their Jewish faith. They're still trying to make Christians uh, do some things to follow this Jewishness. <laughs> it's hard to believe, and it's even hard for us to believe that grace alone is enough, right? And so we start adding things uh, to try and measure up, and we can't measure up. All we have is Jesus, and he's enough. So what we see is, is in the book of Galatians, there's... Uh, there's A theologian has said a long time ago that if it weren't for the book of Galatians, then most of us would be pagans. If it weren't for Paul writing the book of Galatians, majority of the Western world would be pagan. Isn't that incredible? Many of you studied history and some of you church history, and and you might remember that there was a time in the church, a time in history for a thousand years. Now, we live 70, 80, 90 years. It's not that long. So we're talking 9, 10, 11, 12 generations. A thousand years the church was in darkness. 
The church was in unbelievable, utter darkness, and yet it was led by the church, the Catholic church. And so Galatians, God used the book of Galatians, this letter of Galatians from Paul to the churches in Galatia to help Martin Luther begin to open up his heart to what freedom is, to help Martin Luther understand that the Pope is not in control of the Bible. The Bible is in control of the Pope, right? And, but that was, that was like heresy back then. And as he began to understand the concepts of Galatians about freedom, that, that our salvation in Jesus is in faith alone and through the gift of Christ alone, that was revolutionary. And it started a process called the Re- Reformation, right? And we're Protestants. We're, we're here as a result of God's work through Martin Luther and others to bring about this truth and to end a thousand years of darkness. That's a big deal, isn't it? And yet Galatians is a major part of that freedom. The theme of Galatians is freedom. It's freedom from legalism, bondage, sin, hell, death, um, judgment. It's, it's those kind of phrases are used at least over 20 times throughout the book. And, uh, and God wants us to have the faith to believe it. Our culture today, however, if you ask somebody in culture, what is freedom? If you just ask somebody you work with or somebody you go to school with, hey, what, what actually is freedom to you? Many of them might say something like, well, freedom is doing whatever I want to do. However I want to do it, wherever I want to do it, not worrying about consequences, not worrying about uh, responsibilities, not worrying about your opinion of whether or not I do it, right? Have you heard uh, Oprah said this, others have said this, it has to be your truth, right? You heard that? Your truth and my truth and everybody's truth. What? Gobbledygook. I don't know what they're talking about. There, there is not, uh, there's not multiple truths. There's not your truth and my truth. There's the truth. And we submit to the truth, right? But the sad reality is our culture, what they think is freedom, friends, listen, is really bondage. What they think is freedom is really deception. It's very sad. It's very sad. Uh, John Mark MacArthur says, uh, your supposed freedom is really bondage to sin, but your bondage to Christ is your real freedom. So we realize that the problem in our world, the problem in our society, in our culture, is not out there. <laughs> it's not something that others are doing. It's a problem in here. This is our problem. It's a sin problem. It's my problem. It's your problem, and we need the grace of Jesus, or we have no hope. So we get to the book of Galatians in this letter. So would you turn your Bibles with me? Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6 changes the little tone a little bit here. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God bless his word. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us even while we were yet sinners. We have nothing to bring, nothing to earn. God, would you teach our hearts of this finished work of Christ? Settle it within us so that we might serve you of a place of opportunity, a place of joy. Would you settle this in us, God, and teach us by your spirit today. And be with me, Lord, as I try and 
Help us understand these truths in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Uh, some people think he wrote uh, 14, depending on what your feeling is about Hebrews. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He is, uh, he's a nice guy, so usually in his letters he starts off like saying something kind about the people he's writing to. If you look in all the letters, it'll say something like, uh, I thank my God for you. Or I, I, when I usually it will say something like, I thank God as I, as I reflect upon you, I thank God for you. That's not what Galatians is. Galatians does not start that way. It does not have that sentiment, that same thankful sentiment. Every single word from the very first word in Galatians, Paul is direct. He is very intentional with his wording. He, he's not going to waste one word in, uh, in this letter to these people. As you, as you read through it, you get the sense Paul's not happy. In fact, he's hacked off. He's very, very angry. Someone has been messing with the people that he has, has established, these churches in this area. And he is angry. He's angry with, th angry with them for believing it. And he's angry with the people who stirred it up. And so Galatians is a book that's fiery. Galatians is a book that's serious. And from the very first words, he starts to unravel what they've been believing. These people had come into Galatia. Uh, they're called the Judaizers or the circumcision party. They come in and they start adding these things to the gospel. And one of the things they do is they try to downplay who Paul is. So to the Galatians, they say, who's Paul anyway? He wasn't with Jesus, right? He didn't walk with Jesus. So what, is, what, is he, what does he mean to us? All those guys are in Jerusalem, right? And so Paul, right out of the gate, helps answer a question for them. Look at the very first verse. He says, Paul an apostle. You see that? Paul, an apostle. The very first three words answer the question, am I worthy to give you this letter? Do I have credibility? Do I have authority to give you this letter? Paul makes it really clear. Paul, an apostle. But he qualifies it. Look here. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Many of you remember that when Paul was was, uh, had the, ro the road to Damascus experience and Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Ananias comes and prays over him. The scales fall from his eyes. You remember that whole experience and he, he, he comes to know the Lord. Well, in that moment, one thing he could have done was rushed up to Jerusalem and, and gone to see the big A apostles, the capital A apostles, right? The guys who were with Jesus and said, guys, I had this crazy vision and, and Jesus was there and, and, and he explained himself to me and, and gave me this gospel. And what do you think? Is that, is, should, I, should I start preaching? What, what's your thought? Is that what Paul did? No. Paul didn't do that. Paul started preaching immediately. It says he went off into to Arabia for three years and he comes back to Damascus and Paul didn't need the approval of man, not even the capital A apostles. He had the approval of the risen Jesus. That was enough. Uh, theologians talk about apostles in two ways. Capital A apostle is the, the apostles that were with Jesus. So when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, right? They become, they go from being disciples, learners is what that means, to being sent ones into the world. Apostle means sent, sent one, okay? So they go from disciples, learners, to sent ones, apostles. But theologians call them capital A apostles because they have been sent by Jesus himself. We need to understand the difference in those apostles and other apostles who've been sent by men. We, we, we had this time period with, we were studying about Paul and Barnabas. You remember how Barnabas was sent? The, the leaders, the elders, they're praying, they're worshiping, and the Holy Spirit says, send out Paul and Barnabas, right? And so men pray over Barnabas and Paul, and they send them out. And Paul later calls Barnabas an apostle. But Barnabas is a lowercase a apostle, right? Because he didn't, he wasn't sent out personally by Jesus. He was sent out by men, by the church. Still valid, still worthy, still called of God, but not a capital A apostle. Let me show you the difference. If you're a capital A apostle, when you write things about God, it's not opinion, it's scripture. Do you see that? There's a difference. Barnabas wants to serve. Barnabas wants to be on mission. So does Paul. But, 
but when you're a capital A apostle, when you say something, as we're seeing Paul speak definitively about what the gospel is, he speaks it with the authority of a risen Jesus, not men, not man. So he's saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is he's making clear his authority is in Jesus. He didn't need man's approval. He got busy doing the work. What I want to say to you about this is, is very important for the church today. Not just our church, but for the church. We need to understand that, that Paul, what he's saying here and these other apostles in Scripture, it is the standard of the gospel. It is the standard of what we believe as, as Christians so when we see the gospel, and he's going to even explain it here in just a minute, that is the standard by which we hold to as the gospel. So when we hear another gospel, when we hear a, a tweak on the gospel, when we hear somebody say, well, you know, I just don't believe that's a sin anymore. When we say, I just don't think that's the same anymore. When we hear the Pope say, hell doesn't exist anymore. We take whoever's word. And we hold it up against Paul's word, capital A, apostle. And we say, what is orthodox and what is heresy? Do you understand? The problem is we're just taking it all in. Sure, that's good and that's good and this is good and that's good. And we have to be so careful, my friends. Because Paul is saying, these people had, had received discipleship from the apostle Paul. And just a couple of years later, they're, they're beginning to believe something else. We need to understand that Paul's writing, Paul's understanding and teaching of the gospel is the orthodox truth we believe as Christians. And to veer from that is a very serious thing. It's heretical. First thing on your card is, is Paul's authority. Second thing is this, greetings, grace, and the gospel. It's the name of our message. So Paul begins to give this greeting to the people in Galatia, to the churches of Galatia. In fact, that's the way it starts, to the churches of Galatia. Galatians is not written to a person. It's not written to uh, uh, one church. It's written to a group of churches. They're going to share this letter in Galatia to these different churches. And normally he would start it by saying, greetings. I thank God for you. It would be this type of a, a beginning. You can look at his other letters. He changes even the greeting. Again, every word full of intent, packed with intentionality, packed with meaning. Paul, an apostle. And then he gets to the greeting. He says, not greetings, but he says, grace and peace. Let's, let's look at what he says here. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts off by changing even the greeting because he wants to show at the very beginning grace. See, grace is the very thing the Judaizers, the circumcision party, didn't have, didn't understand, and yet it was the very thing the Galatians needed. It's the very thing in our lives that we need to understand and to receive and live by the grace of Jesus. And then he says, and peace to you. Why would he say peace? Because their world had been turned upside down. There was drama in the church, right? There was a scandal at foot in the church. These guys were challenging the thing that mattered most. What is salvation? What is needed for salvation? And so he uses this phrase, Paul does. He says, there's some people who are troubling you. In fact, that's the exact same phrase used by Pastor James in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 19, at the Jerusalem Council. He says, there's, there's some men who are troubling the church. This is a problem all over. And so Paul uses this, uh, this phrase. After he says grace, because it's what's needed, and peace, because there is none in the church. Again, every word packed with meaning and intentionality. He gives this beautiful summary of the gospel. Grace and peace to you, and this is how you're going to get it. Through the gospel of Jesus. Look with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the pre present evil age 
according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying this is the essence. He's, he's setting up the argument that he's about to make. He says, this is what you need. You need grace and you need peace. Here's the thing that matters most, the gospel of Jesus. That God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins. That's the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins. We don't add to it. He doesn't need anything from us. He's given to us all that's needed. Let me say this. Anytime Jesus gives you something, that's all you'll need of that thing. I promise you. That's it. We don't add to it. We don't distort it. We don't twist it. Paul is saying this is the definitive gospel. What Christ has done on the cross is enough. Even Jesus said that right before he passed. Jesus says, it is finished. You remember when he said that? I want us just as, as a response I want to get that into our souls today. Will you say that with me? It is finished. Let's say it one more time. It is finished. My hope is that before we leave this morning, that truth shakes your soul. That the reality that that work is done, that you don't bring anything to it, that it's finished, it's done. And Paul's saying, this is the gospel of Jesus. The finished work of Christ it is finished. Paul goes into some beautiful imagery and honestly theology. I want us to not miss it. I want us to take a look at it. A few, a few phrases he says here. He says, for Christ gave himself for our sins. And if you weren't paying attention to that little word for, you might miss something very important. The word for is kind of like a word like trade, right? Hey, I'll give you that for this, right? That's, it's, kinda, it's, it's used as sort of as a trade. Jesus here, Paul is saying the gospel of Jesus is his trading, his holiness for our sinfulness. Right? We don't pay the price for salvation. Guess why? Because we can't. Christ has to offer his holiness. And all we have to offer is our sinfulness. And he trades us. Christ gave himself for us. In theological circles, it's called substitutionary atonement. It means he's our substitute. And guess what? There is no other substitute. You're not one. No one is one. There's one gospel. And that gospel is Jesus and his love for us traded us. His very life for our wretched lives. We shouldn't miss the substitution that he gives for us. Then he says to deliver us. Some translations say rescue. I like rescue better. I want you to notice what Paul's saying is, not saying is that he doesn't, he doesn't want, the Lord doesn't want to take us out of the world. Right? As Christians, he wants us to be in the world. As believers, he wants us to be the aroma of Christ to the world. He wants us to shine the light of Jesus to the world, to be the salt that flavors the world. So when they taste how we live, they go, wow, I want that. I want to know that. I want to be around that. I want to understand that. And we can't do that unless we're in the world. This is not saying that God wants to take us out of the world. But it is saying he wants to deliver us from an understanding a mindset, a way of life, and that he calls it this present evil age. See, listen, the enemy of your soul, the devil, he has a deception, he has a system, and he wants all of us to buy into this system, right? Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, his goal is to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to think that your freedom is, is being able to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, with no consequence or responsibility. But really, it's deception because that's bondage. And Paul's saying, listen, Christ gave himself to deliver you, to rescue you out of this understanding, out of this system, so that if your eyes could be open to the truth, you could really be free. If your eyes were open to the truth, if your heart understood what this is about, 
You could be light. You could be salt. You could bring change. He wants to deliver us from the world. You know, other religious teachers, they come to teach. Teach you how to live better, how to do things differently. Let me tell you something, friends. Jesus didn't come to teach. He came to save. There's a big difference. He came to save. He said, I'm here to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me show you the difference. If you ever, you know, it's been sort of lake season. I've been jealous of all the people who get to go on the lake, you know, and, and, and go swimming on the lake. It's been wonderful for you, I'm sure. But if you're ever out on the lake and you've got a friend out there that's ah, doing this number in the water, don't throw them a manual about how to swim. Do you understand? Don't throw them a book about how to swim. Save them. Rescue them. Pull them up. Help them. And can I just tell you, if you don't know Jesus, that's you in this world. Flailing in lostness, in desperation, in hopelessness, in deception. You don't need a teacher. You need a Savior. Tim Keller says this. He says, this is the humbling truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for themselves. So we find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive. Whether they're religious, keep these rules and you can earn eternal blessing, or secular, grab hold of these things and you'll experience blessing now. The gospel comes and turns them all upside down. It says you're in such a hopeless position. Imagine the flailing in the lake. That's You're in such a hopeless position that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says, God and Jesus provides a rescue which gives you far more than any false salvation your heart may love to chase. I love this. Listen, Paul reminds us that in the gospel, we're both brought lower and raised higher than we can imagine. We're brought lower because when we get a good understanding, when our eyes are opened, not of this evil present system, but when our eyes are open to the truth, we understand how wretched, poor, naked, and blind we are. And we're brought lower than we could have ever believed. I'm nothing. I have nothing to offer. I'm sinful. I'm broken. And Keller says, and yet, we're also brought higher than we could have ever imagined. Right? Seated with Christ. Here's the next phrase he uses. He says, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can I I think this is so good? He mentions this. Do Do you realize that the gospel of Jesus is all God's idea? Every bit of it. The Bible says, from before the foundations of the world, Christ died for us. There was a plan for our salvation before we were created. So Jesus coming to this earth as as God and man, as a baby, right? Him living a sinless life. He never made a mistake. He never sinned. And then him dying a sinner's death. He didn't deserve to die that death because he did nothing wrong. But he was our substitute. We did everything wrong. We deserve it. And yet he was our substitute and paid that price for us. the great exchange, right? God's holiness for our sinfulness. And it was all his will. And so Paul says, because it was your will, because it was your plan, all glory to you forever and ever. Amen. Here's the third thing on your card. Another gospel is no gospel. Another gospel is no gospel whatsoever, right? His tone completely changes. It still sort of sounds greeting-oriented, even though every word is intentional and filled with meaning. The tone changes. Paul's not happy. Verse uh, 6 here, look with me. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's just been a couple of years since I was there. And we explained all this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said it before now, I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. Paul's frustrated. I thought we had settled this. I thought you had received this gospel. I thought you understood this truth. I'm astonished. I'm blown away and I'm, I'm not happy. Paul says that when you believe another gospel, when you allow your heart to consider another gospel and you begin to believe and live that way, it's not that you have just added to your theology. No, you have deserted Christ. Do you feel the seriousness of this? It's not that we add something on, because when we do, he says, we've left Jesus. There's only one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. To add to it is to desert Christ, to leave. You're doing something foreign, something else. There is no other gospel. There's only one. He uses this wording um, from Pastor James. James uses it in Acts 19. But what was going on, he explains, and Luke explains in Acts 15.1. Look here. This is what the case was. This is what the situation was. It says, but some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Sounds pretty definitive, right? Here's the rule, guys. Yeah, Jesus, okay, we get that, but if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. If you don't follow the law of Moses, you're not saved. You got to do your part, man. And isn't that everything in our world, right? In order to make more, we work harder. In order to, to, to get a better, better shape, we got to work harder. In order to, everything about us is about, yeah, we got to do our part. Not in the gospel. We have nothing to bring. There is no our part. So not only had these false teachers questioned Paul's authority, but they were trying to say, you're responsible for part of your salvation. Right? You have to do a certain part to go to heaven, to know God. Paul's saying this very clearly. The gospel plus anything is nothing. Gospel plus anything is nothing. You've made it a no gospel, a non-gospel. He uses this word uh, distort. He says there's some people who are distorting. In the Greek, that literally means reverse. Distort is not like you tweaked it, right? It's running a little odd. No, he's, it, it means the opposite. When you mess with the purity of the true gospel that Jesus gives you salvation as a gift, it's not a reward to be earned. You reverse it, and you make it a no gospel. Paul's saying, Jesus has done the work. We, we don't need you to add any work here. It is finished. Would you say that with me? It is finished. Paul adds a very serious warning to anyone who would do this. Very serious. Verse 8, he says, but if, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then for clarity and for impact and effect, he says, as we've said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word in the Greek is anathema. It's eternal judgment to hell is what that is. Anyone who would bring in this different gospel, let them be eternally judged to hell. And his listeners and us kind of go, whoa. And for him to say it twice is like coming up to you and shaking you by the shoulders and going, did you hear me? Do you understand? He makes it so clear. This is not just Paul's opinion. I wrestled with this. Hey, is this just Paul really frustrated here, you know? No, no, no. Paul's a capital A apostle and what he says is scripture. That's what he says. 
Someone who changes this gospel, who does this, is a heretic. And he gives this warning. He, he, I love the fact that he doesn't just, you know, it would have been easy for Paul to go, don't listen to those idiots. Didn't I tell you something? But he doesn't do that, does he? Paul says, you know what? Even if I, even if my team come back to you and we preach to you a gospel that was different than we first preached to you, then I need to be accursed. And then he ramps it up unbelievably and says, if an angel from heaven... I mean, can you imagine all the stories of an angel from heaven are so phenomenal that people usually fall over it like they're dead. Can you imagine if an angel from heaven shows up and says, hey, you just need to add circumcision, then you're good to go. You can go to heaven. It would be sort of believable, huh? Paul says, no. The gospel that was given to you is God's gospel. It is the filter. It is the standard. And if anyone, if any angel preaches to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be sentenced to hell. Very serious. Many religions believe you have to add things to the gospel. Muslims believe that you have to do certain works in order to go to heaven. Right? They, they, they've added this thing to the gospel. It's heresy. Mormons, you have to add works to your life in order to go to heaven, to know Jesus, to, 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 ha to have eternal life. By the way, what's interesting about Mormonism, do you remember how Mormonism started? Remember that? A man by the name of Joseph Smith has a vision, and an angel appears to Joseph Smith. The angel's name is Moroni. And that angel supposedly gives Joseph Smith an additional gospel. Does this sound familiar to what I'm talking about here? He gives him an additional gospel, an additional way to be saved, an angel. The very thing that Paul warned us of. And so on top of their building is this angel Moroni. On top of our building is the cross of Jesus. Because that's all that matters. That's what we will live under. That's what we will live by. That's what I will die by. And they have an angel. It's a demon. And they live under a religion of a demon. Paul says, let him be accursed. Jehovah's Witness believe an additional uh, aspect of truth. They've written a translation of their own that diverts from the gospel of Jesus. Catholicism. In so many ways, you've got to do your part. You do your thing. You've got to say so many things. You've got to do these things. No. Because if you add anything to the gospel, you make it no gospel. And you desert Christ. We have to receive. We're not rewarded. The difference. Remember, his gospel, the gospel of capital A apostles is the gospel. It is, it is the very thing that we should filter all other truths by. Forgiveness is not something you earn. Only Jesus can give it. He's the only one worthy to offer it. Martin Luther said this, he said, there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. It's one or the other, right? There's no other alternative to Christ's righteousness but works righteousness. It's got to be one or the other. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. There's no other way. We don't add to the gift of salvation, and yet people who are even in Christian circles, we've added some things, haven't we? What about, what about this one? Maybe you're familiar with some churches that believe in order to be saved, you must also be, uh-huh. Well, is that the, what is that, huh? It's something added to salvation. Now, do, should we be baptized? You better believe it, because that's the first act of obedience to Jesus. But we don't have to be baptized to be saved, there's nothing we add to salvation. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. We don't have to be baptized to be saved. Some churches say you have to be able to speak in tongues to show that you have the Spirit living in your, in your heart. What? We're going to add that to salvation. It's not true. Some say you have to be a part of the right denomination. You have to read from only the King James Bible. You have to only vote this way if you're saved. 
Oh, we have to be careful, friends, of the things that we add to the purity of the gospel of Jesus. We had nothing. It needs nothing. To distort the gospel in any way or add to it is heresy. And it cheapens the cross. When we tell this story of Jesus on a cross, when we tell the beauty of his life given for yours and for me, and then we say, but you got to do a little more. You got to really, you got to really be a good, you got to do these things. We cheapen Jesus' sacrifice for us. God, may it never be. The last thing I want to show you that Paul gives us in this text. Verse 10, man's approval or God's. It says this, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, I've read this, I've read this tons of times. I read this verse this week and it felt like it jumped out at me and pointed at me, you know. Paul wasn't worried about offending those believers in Galatia. He wasn't worried about offending the uh, circumcision party, the Judaizers. He wasn't worried about them either. He wasn't even worried about the big A apostles in Jerusalem. He wasn't worried about them, offending them. He's worried about offending God. When our eyes are open to the truth and we relieve this worldly system and we understand God's approval is everything, then we don't worry about people as much. The thing that got me, though, is this. It's not like you can sort of, I thought, you know, I've, I've probably said this to you. Hey, I struggle with approval. I've always struggled with approval things. When I was young, I struggled with people's approval. Do whatever people want me to do if I could feel accepted, if I could belong. But the reality is, I'm not seeking people's approval and a servant of Christ. You can't be a little bit of both. Either you're serving Christ and seeking his approval or you're following the, man, the man's way and trying to please man. Where are you today? Because if your heart is desperate for man's approval, you're not God's servant. Who's the motivator in your life? Is it God or is it man? Are you constantly trying to find ways to keep up with the Joneses? No intent if anybody's named Jones here. Are you trying to keep up with people? Are you trying to make sure that you have the most beautiful home in the world? Are you trying to have the best car in the world? Are you trying to have the best clothes? Are you trying to come off a certain way because you want people's approval? Or maybe you just want to be in the crowd, in the culture. You want to be on, in the middle of what's going on. Or maybe you're worried that people might think you're a Christian and you're afraid to, to pray over your meal in public or you're afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus. You're afraid to, I don't know what. And we seek man's approval instead of God's. You know, I struggled with this in worship, in my worship life for so long. I remember the first time I felt led to raise my hand. It's like I was, I don't know what I was doing. And looking behind, I'm doing this. Like T-Rex worship, you know. <laughs> Until I came to this realization that I don't care what you think. I love you. Oh, I wouldn't want to be a distraction to you. It would break my heart. But when I raise my hands in worship, it's me acknowledging that I'm drowning. It's me acknowledging that I need a Savior. It's me acknowledging that I have nothing, God, but you. I don't care what you think. And when you get to the place where your mind is outside of this world system, and your focus can be on God's approval, you'll be able to walk in freedom and joy and grace and peace because you're focused on what he wants and not what other people want of your life. Why was this situation so important to Paul? We're going to close. Why was this such a big deal? Why did he want them to know grace and truth? Why did he want the gospel to be pure for them? Why was it a big deal? Because people's souls were at stake. 
Some of you are looking at me today going, man, he's hyped up today. He had the bold coffee this morning. I have that every morning. The same thing is still at stake this morning. People's eternity is at stake. Paul knew that if we didn't get this right, people would die and go to hell. People would get baptized and think, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. People would say, oh, I've, just, I've been circumcised, I'm going to heaven. I've done a few things that are my part, I'm going to heaven. And he's saying, no, unless you've accepted by faith alone this gift of God, Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, unless you've accepted this gift of God that you can't work for and you can't earn and you can't boast of, then you don't know Jesus. It's at stake this morning, my friends. If you don't know him, would you please, please accept him? Would you please seek him? This is not a drama today. This is not a skit I've been working on. Why is it so important to Paul? Because the eternity of people is at stake. He wanted his people to know the truth. And when we know the truth, what did Jesus say about the truth? Right? John 8, 32 says, when we know the truth, the truth will set you free. He wants freedom for those people. True freedom, and guess what? Real true freedom only comes in your life with a relationship with Jesus. That's it. There's no other way. He wants truth for you. He wants freedom for you. He didn't want you following everything else and thinking you're free and being deceptive. He wants you deceived. He wants you to know the truth. Paul knew this was a matter of eternal consequence. And we have to know this morning that salvation is it's a gift. Oh, what a gift it is. It's not a reward. Do you hear me? Rewards are something you earn, you work hard for. That's not salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Tim Keller says, we're more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Reminded of Romans 5, 8 that says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, we don't, we don't work from a place where we're trying to work for God's love. No, instead, from God's love, we begin to work. Do you see the difference? We don't work to be accepted by God. No, it's from his acceptance that we begin to move and we begin to use our gifting out of that acceptance. It's not that we do things for God to love us. No, it's from his love because we've been so greatly loved by a Savior who has rescued us on the cross of Christ. It's from that love that we get to worship this morning. It's from that love that we get to serve in our church. It's from that love that we get to go to small group and learn about Jesus. It's from that love that we get to witness to people. It's from that love that we get to be accepted by a holy God. We don't do things for a relationship with God. Because of our relationship with God, we do things. Can I ask you a question this morning as we, as we finish? Do you need a rescue? Are you just flailing in the world? You don't know which way is up. You don't know where you're going. You think freedom is something that it's not. And you need a rescue. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. If you need a rescue, if you need Jesus, would you please don't worry about the approval of men Get up out of your seat, and we're standing to sing. Come down here and speak to one of these pastors, one of these elders, and let us tell you about Jesus. Would you do that? Maybe you need a reset on your motivation. Maybe your motivation is, it needs to be reminded of why we're here. Why we do the things God wants us to do. It's because we get to, out of God's great love for us, we get to love him and each other. We don't have to. We get to.
whatever the case may be, my prayer for us is Paul's greetings to the Galatians, that we would have grace and peace. Not because of what we've done. We've done. Not because of some work we've, we've worked towards, but because God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. All the will of our loving God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation, God. Thank you that the work is complete. The work to know you, the work to, to love you, the work to be accepted by you, it's already done. And I didn't do it. Jesus' work on the cross was a finished work, a completed work. And so he said, it is finished. And yet, Lord, some of us, we just want to keep earning. We want to keep, we want to be accepted. We keep, no, we just have to, by grace, through faith, believe that that gift has been given to us. And out of that place of love, out of that place of worship, out of that place, place of adoration, God, we serve you with all that we are. We lay down our very lives, Lord, if you require it. God, if there's anybody here this morning, they just feel like they're flailing in the world. They don't know what direction to go in life, and they know they need something. Lord, help them to understand that something is really a someone, and his name is Jesus. And draw them, Lord, by your Spirit to know you to find grace and peace for their lives. Even now, Lord, that they would get up and come. God, that you would do a work by your spirit in this place. And for those of us, Lord, that need to be reminded of our motivation, that we serve you and you alone and try to not please people, God, but to serve you. Would you purify our hearts and give us the faith, God, to be strong to stand for the true gospel of Jesus. Would you help us in that? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, we will respond to you. That's what worship is. It's our response to you. May we respond now, whether it's in our seat or in this altar. God, help us to worship through response. We respond. We change. We live. We believe. We hope in all that you want for us, God, today. In Jesus' wonderful, glorious name, to you be the glory forever and ever, O oh God, for our salvation and the gift you've given to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?